This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. There's a new artificial intelligence tool in town. And if you ask it to write an essay on the pros and cons of capitalism, for example, it'll produce an in-depth piece for you in a matter of seconds. It can also write rap songs and poetry that would impress even the likes of Tupac and Shakespeare. It's called ChatGPT, and it's incredibly intelligent. But what is it exactly? And is it going to take over the planet, a la Skynet in Terminator? I'm Dashran Johan, and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Adam Brimo. He's the founder and group CEO at Open Learning Limited. He's also listed in the 2017 Forbes 30 Under 30 Asia for consumer technology. Welcome to the show, Adam. How are you? It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, Adam, it's been said that this tool, a chat GPT, can write a Shakespearean poem and can even do your assignment for you in a few seconds with a single prompt. But what exactly is chat GPT? ChatGPT, in a basic level, is like an AI chatbot. And what it does is it has built up a model over a number of years of effectively all the information on the internet and other sources uh, that we may or may not know about. And it uses this information to come up with um, text in a format that feels conversational. So it's pulled together all this information, it's distilled it, it's interpreted what you've asked it in the prompt and come back with some text that you can understand right. in a format that's far better than any other chatbot you've probably ever seen. So what, what is that chatbot? What is an AI chatbot? Um, does, for example, Siri, um, do you consider that an AI chatbot? It is, but it, not in the same level as this. Right. So um, chatbots have been around for a long time. And some of them have been very basic. You probably talk to one when you're on your customer service line or you, know, you try and book a flight. Right. Um, but usually they're quite simplistic. Um, AI chatbots are different. They're self-learning. Um, and they've been tuned over a number of years on a whole range of parameters. So they use a combination of both uh, reinforcement learning and uh, in some cases supervised and unsupervised learning. So effectively what's happening is um, it's been uh, fed a whole bunch of data, it's gone through that data, it generates a response, and then in some cases a human will tell it whether that was a good response or a bad response. And over time it's using this neural network to refine its responses. So uh, yes, Siri is uh, in many ways an AI chatbot, but it's purpose is different. Um, right. It's to do specific things for you um, and use, probably uses more of a decision uh, tree in some form rather than you know, accessing all the information that's been produced on the internet. Right. So is ChatGPT like just a, a sort of a, a brand, a one-one type of AI chatbot? And, and who invented it? So ChatGPT was created by OpenAI, right. um, which was founded in 2015 by a few people, including Elon Musk and Sam Altman and a number of computer scientists and machine learning experts. And uh, it's actually one of the many tools that OpenAI has built over the past eight years. So this didn't come about overnight. <laughs> um, it's actually built on top of the GPT-3 or 3.5 model, which is a natural language processing model that um, OpenAI came up with. Uh, they also have a product called DALI, uh, which generates images based on text prompts as well. So they've taken about eight years, but this is, I guess, the culmination of some of that work. And it's also really the first public version. So they want to put it out there and see what people do with it and then 
provide feedback based on that. Now, before we dive into the nitty-gritty, Adam, I want to just get some overall thoughts. What are your overall thoughts on ChatGPT, especially, you know, listening to how I described it in the introduction, right? I brought up how, you know, even the likes of Tupac and Shakespeare could be impressed by what this bot can do. Is that a fair, uh, you know, description of what ChatGPT can do? How, how do you, just as an overall process this this piece of technology that we have in front of us right now? Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, I think there have been a lot of different tools and technologies that have come up over the past couple decades, and um, everyone has always claimed that they're going to change the world in some way, um, and some of them have for better or worse, but uh, there hasn't really been anything uh, like this before. Um, and I think it's important to look at this as a fundamental step on a journey to creating uh, a new kind of AI, generative AI. Right. Um, and while the current version of ChatGPT is very impressive, uh, you can always you know, trick it out on different things, um, and it can answer very confidently, sometimes incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> so you can take it with a grain of salt. But in its current form, it's very useful. Um, but you can bet that it's going to get far, far more powerful. It's the beginning of a, of a revolution. As of right now, what can ChatGPT do and what are its limitations? I would say that what it's capable of doing is, uh, based on the prompt that you ask it, it will generate an answer to your question uh, in a style that you choose. So you could ask it to generate a song in the style of Tupac. You know, right. It will do that. Um, but it won't provide any opinions or anything. It won't, um, you know... Uh, in some cases, it won't solve unsolved problems. But uh, generative AI does hold that potential. So I would say at the moment, it's the first step on a journey, um, but it's getting much better. So probably the way that I would think about it is a bit more like the uh, graphing calculator or you know calculators when they first came onto right. the market. Um, prior to that, you had to kind of do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. You memorized the log tables and everything at school. Um, but... These graphing calculators in particular meant that you could pretty much do anything in mathematics. Um, right. And a student could do that because a graphing calculator was quite affordable. Uh, now, what does that mean? Well, it means that um, you no longer have to rely on your memory to do things. So I see ChatGPT as a huge accelerator or multiplier of human potential uh, when it gets to its, I guess, more advanced forms. Now, what's fascinating about ChatGPT is its creative capabilities, which we touched on a little bit, right? Because it, it's one thing, Adam, to spew facts or even solve complex mathematical problems. But how is it able to come up with poetry? How is it able to come up with song lyrics? How is it able to think creatively and, and rhythmically on these sort of innate talents? <laughs> yeah, they, they are talents. Um, so I would say that what it is generating is something that we perceive to be creative. Okay. But it's not creativity in the way we understand it. Um, it's effectively generating text in the format of something that we would consider creative, um, which is, I guess, somewhat nuanced <laughs> because when we interpret it, it's creativity and it looks all the same. But right. It doesn't, go, it doesn't go through the same creative process that a human would go through. Pretty much it has analyzed so much information out there, and it's been able to pull it together that it knows what you're looking for, and it generates a series of words that match that. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it's uh, creative in the human-like sense. 
Now, that's quite intriguing, right? Because even today, when we look at, say, the K-pop industry, or just pop in general, right? Or we look at, let's say, Marvel movies. There's a lot of um, inauthenticity going around, right? I mean, take most K-pop groups, for example. They don't come together because they are four best friends who are making music um, at the grassroots level and in their neighborhood park, right? That's not how it works. You know, oftentimes these these groups, they're put together by producers and, and marketers, you also have entire teams studying what exactly people want to watch or listen to, what minute of a video or song do people start losing interest and, and tapering off. A lot of content is engineered and generated to keep people's eyeballs and, and ears on the screen rather than, you know, created from the soul. And, and now you can ask the AI to write song lyrics as well. So how do you think about this? I know you're not much of a culture commentator, but as someone who studies technology education, how do you think about this aspect? Yeah, exactly right. So um, if you go on Spotify and you use the discover functionality, it will bring back songs in a style that you will probably like right? based on what you've previously liked. Uh, and it's not too much of a step to generate the entire song for you. Um, song lyrics, advertising material, uh, images... Uh, for fun, I asked it to write a 30-second commercial uh, for Australia uh, right. for me, and then I asked it to write one for Open Learning, my company, um, something that I would previously spend you know, a couple days uh, working through. Right. <laughs> it, it did a pretty good job. Um, <laughs> so I would say that the, the greatest challenge um, is probably that certain fields will be impacted a lot more uh, immediately than others. Um, those would probably be what we would think of as the repeatable white-collar skills, so to speak, you know. Uh, white-collar skills being done on an industrial scale. Uh, things like animation, graphic design, uh, copywriting, editing, SEO. Um, these were things that we consider, you know, pretty good, good jobs in society. Um, uh, that's a challenge because a lot of these can be done most easily by a tool like this. Right. Uh, particularly, you know, uh, animation and graphic design. You know, you can already see a lot of graphics being generated. You can see uh, virtual characters being created. Influences on Instagram may not be real people. So I would say that where, where the purpose is purely commercial, uh, that's where the impact will be. But there is always a place in society for art as a social commentary. Right. And that's something that I think people will gravitate more towards. Uh, they'll be looking for that authenticity. Um, because if a song can be generated that meets your exact style, then it somewhat loses the meaning right. in many ways. Absolutely. So I think if we think about these as um, more artistic endeavors, then I think the artist is okay. <laughs> but if you think about it in terms of, uh, say, copywriting and uh, you know, animation for a movie where right. you have you know, hundreds or thousands of animators that have to do many of the frames and you can't sort of wean each one of them yourself, then those are things which I think will be most immediately impacted. Um, you said ChatGPT can't express beliefs or opinions that much or at all. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm very curious, I'm fascinated by this because politics, um, as much as it is a science, it's, it's also sort of an art form. Um, you know, you have things like human rights, animal rights, environmental rights, laws, constitutions, the concept of genders. These are all social constructs. So if you ask ChatGPT, is God real, for example, or if you ask um, ChatGPT, do Indian men in Malaysia deserve to die in prison? How will ChatGPT process this? How will it answer these kind of questions? 
Well, at the moment, it will answer actually very much like a politician. <laughs> right. <laughs> in, in that it won't give, an, in some cases, an equivocal answer. Right. Um, and if you try asking it those questions, it will often tell you that um, based on uh, research or based on literature, you know, everyone is different and all of these things. Um, if you ask it whether it has beliefs, it will actually tell you it does not. Um, now, I think this is, this is both true and false, in my view. Um, one is that the response you get back is a direct result of the question you ask. Uh, so almost like a surveyor, you know, someone running a survey, can influence the results of the survey by writing the questions in a certain way, you, you directly influence the results or what you get from ChatGPT by the prompt that you give it. Right. So um, I could ask it, and I, and I have played around with it quite a bit, you know, why should somebody use you know, our, uh, our online learning platform compared to a competitor's online learning platform? And it will give me the reasons why, actually, which is pretty cool. Um, right. But if I switch the order, it tells um, people why they should use the other platform instead of mine. So it, it does that. Now, I think the caveat to this is that it is trained off of the information available on the Internet and other data sources around the world. Now, all of that data put together... Uh, in many ways, has an unconscious bias that uh, a society itself might have right. or a culture might have. So while it is not explicitly uh, forming an opinion, its foundational information may have opinions embedded into them. Um, and this is, I think, the challenge that uh, society faces with these kinds of tools because they are effectively an aggregation or a summary, summary of you know, the collective body of work. Um, but on top of that, uh, the training for these, uh, this generative AI is actually based on people as well. So it's not entirely, uh, I guess it wasn't trained entirely by um, other machines or other algorithms. It was trained by people. So those people have actually gone through the responses in the training process and said this response is better than that response. Right. And that also has the ability to bring in some bias into the results. And when it's, you know, just covering the internet, and that's essentially where it's getting its information from, and the internet has a lot of conspiracy articles. It has, you know, all sorts of QAnon stuff and, and anti-vaccine articles and all sorts of things, right? So how does the AI know that these are all conspiracies and it shouldn't be, let's say if you ask, ask a chat GPT to write an essay about vaccines, how does it know to ignore these conspiracies, for example? Or does it even ignore these conspiracies? I mean, I guess in short, I'm not sure. Right. Actually. Um, it's not uh, entirely clear how the entire process was mm -hmm. conducted because there's billions of parameters that it's looking at and hundreds of billions of <laughs> documents right. and other information. So it's somewhat, um, it's somewhat tricky to say that this is something is true and something is false and excluded. Like you can't do the manual moderation. They have se they do seem to have put a number of guardrails around it to try and prevent this from occurring. Um, and a lot of people have tested it, and it does seem much better than previous attempts by other companies. You know, there have been chatbots from other companies, AI chatbots, and very quickly they've started <laughs> making racist <laughs> remarks on Twitter. Right. Um, so. They've certainly done a very good job with this one, um, but it is uh, still challenging to do that. Um, but I would say overall, it's almost like the average of society. So the average of society, uh, even the average of the internet, is probably not too 
um, you know, extreme, extreme, or, right. or in one way or the other, in one direction or the other. But there's probably some shift in the middle somewhere. Right. So I'd say because of that, it's it's okay.、Um, but it is something that we have to be aware of because it's very challenging when we're interpreting the information coming back. You almost have to、uh, be an expert in the field or know what kind of response you're expecting to get in order to actually use this tool usefully. Right. If, if you don't know what you're looking for and you just accept whatever it tells you, you might be in a bit of trouble. On the show with me today is Adam Brimmel, founder and group CEO at Open Learning Limited. After the break, we continue our discussion on ChatGPT. Keep it here on Today I Learned BFM 89.9. Welcome back to today. I learned. I'm Dutchman Johan, and on the show with me today is Adam Brimmel, founder and group CEO at Open Learning Limited, and he is giving me the 101 on ChatGPT. So, Adam, what does ChatGPT mean for society? Will it replace human beings? And I know it sounds dramatic, but whenever people hear about highly advanced technology, highly advanced AI,、um, people's minds automatically go to those big Hollywood movies, right? Now people automatically think of Skynet from Terminator and how you know the the computers are going to take over the world and start killing human beings and and so on and so forth.、Um, you know, people start thinking about this dystopian end of the world. But what is it like in reality? What What does ChatGPT mean for society? Well, I mean, I think it would be nice if there were some、um, more positive examples of the future <laughs> than, <laughs> than、uh, those movies.、Uh, I'm sure there are, but probably not as popular. Right. So, I think th- th- this is really transformative for society.、Um, you know, it's at at the moment. It might just look like a gimmick or a flash in the pan,、um, but it's probably not.、Uh, This—it's probably difficult to understate the impact that、uh, not just ChatGPT, but the category of generative AI will have on society.、Um, in many ways, like it will transform all sectors、uh, in in a different way. You know, in the same way that computers transformed a wide, wide、uh, swath of society,、uh, web browsers made the internet accessible, even though it already existed.、Right. It was still very rudimentary.、Uh, cloud computing has changed computing itself.、Right. Uh, smartphones have changed the way we communicate. So this has the potential to do that, and being like, like be like the underlying、um, infrastructure foundation for a whole new category of innovation that could occur.、Um, In fields from science to engineering,、um, you know, to healthcare,、uh, there are problems that you know we are not able to solve as people、um, because、uh, we can't comprehend such a large body of information. And、uh, generative AI、uh, is actually able eventually to do that. So there are you know m- medical discoveries we might be able to make. Well, these tools could make、right. for us, <laughs> and, and we would benefit from. So. It's quite fascinating.、Um, I'd say,、uh, you know, it, it is going to make an impact in this way, but it's going to take time. Just like you know, the web browser and the internet has been around a long time,、right. and only in the past probably decade did it really touch you know the majority of the world's population. Right.、Uh, so you don't see it becoming Skynet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say that、um, at the moment, the big difference is that these tools.、Uh, Give you knowledge, and they 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 give you text, but they don't do anything with it. Right. You know, you get to decide what to do with it. 
I think the moment um, you connect it to general purpose hardware <laughs> and allow that to run free, that, right. that's when you run into some challenges like that. Right. So hopefully... <laughs> hopefully, hopefully no chat GPT to nuclear weapons and, and things like that. <laughs> yeah, one, can, one can only help. Right. <laughs> now, um, Adam, you're someone who's very passionate about education. You work in the field of education and technology. What does chat GPT mean for education? Considering that the program can pick out and paraphrase research papers with a snap of your finger. Now, it, it's, you, you don't even have to go to research papers, right? Even, you know, essays. You, you, you know, if you're a high school teacher, you tell your student, write an essay about this, write an essay about, you know, the, the May 13, 1969 incident in Malaysia, for example, a historical essay. They do it in two seconds because ChatGPT just did it. So what, what does that mean for education? It's something that we think we're thinking a lot about. And interestingly, um, what it means for education is that educators and education providers need to start designing educational experiences the way they uh, should have done from the beginning. Right. <laughs> now, many of them are. So um, it's not, uh, I guess, as simple as, you know, everyone is uh, currently requiring every student to write an essay and do an exam, and that's all going out the window. Um, in many ways, there's sort of uh, three responses to this we're seeing. One is, uh, the first response is, go back to pen and paper exams. <laughs> so, um, you know, dust off the, the pen, right. pen and pencil, and, you know, you've got to write it down yourself. Um, the second is uh, trying to identify whether a text is generated by uh, ChatGPT or other AI tools. Um, and that's something that you know uh, a lot of plagiarism detection tools are working on. And the third is, um, I think, um, probably the most interesting way, which is to educate people on how to use it and um, redesign your courses around it. Now, the way this works uh, and the way that open learning has been designed is actually to support this style of education. Right. So when you think of um, exams and those essays, a lot of that is sort of like rote learning. You know, you're trying to memorize something, summarize knowledge, and then write it, regurgitate it back to the teacher. Right. And I think most of us know that's not very useful from an educational perspective. Mm -hmm. But it's easy to mark. So um, in some cases, it has been done for many years. But what's a better way of doing it, and the way that we've been advocating um, for a decade now, is a focus on more uh, active learning and more social constructivism. And what that means is students are actually actively engaged in the process. They're forming a community of practice in the course. They're working together to solve problems. They're drawing upon prior knowledge and information. And then they're coming up with new knowledge in a piece-by-piece -piece fashion. <laughs> so over the, over the course, you'll build up a portfolio of evidence of learning that demonstrates how you've built your capability. Right. So it's not so much the end result. It's how did you get there? Um, and that's what we want people to try and do in their courses. Now, um, this is quite a bit uh, of work in some cases. You have to design a whole range of different activities. It's a very personalized experience, um, and it does take time. Now, people could still use ChatGPT to assist them on that journey. Right. <laughs> so it's not, you know, you don't stop using it entirely. But at the same time, if this is a tool that's going to be out there in society, just like the graphing calculator, um, you'd want people to know how to use it. And it, it really would accelerate what they can do. Um, so similarly with a graphing calculator or any calculator, uh, you probably wouldn't want a civil engineer to build a building or a bridge or a construction engineer to do that 
and not use a calculator, <laughs> yeah, you'd be quite worried. Right. So um, I think these tools always take time, and um, it's something that people uh, will, t will have to get used to and they'll have to redesign their learning experiences around. But I think it's something that we have to explore and educate students about um, rather than uh, just try and, you know, move back in the other direction, which is uh, pen and paper, I guess. I think you bring up a very good point um, because whenever there is new technology, people tend to worry. Um, like the immediate, like it, if it's not like, oh, the AI is going to take over the world, it's like it's going to make society lazier or dumber. Um, but the reality is it allows us to use our brains in, in different ways, right? For example, at, at, at one point, uh, you know, in life, if you're a writer, um, you know, your spelling had to be really good. Like if you're talking about 20, 30 years ago, you have to make sure you know how to spell all the words. You have to have a dictionary beside you and then check up on all the spelling if you're unsure or something. But these days, you don't have to. If you're a writer, you don't have to worry about spelling because, um, you know, there's autocorrect. And this allows writers not to waste their time, you know, checking the dictionary for spelling mistakes. Instead, they can just use their brains to pay attention to more for other things like how the sentences flow, the rhythm, you know, between sentences. What do you think ChatGPT will allow uh, people to do better now that they don't have to, you know, do this paraphrasing, do these, um, you know, uh, like you said, you know, like scouring through existing knowledge and then regurgitate it? I think it's a great point. Um, so I think this will save people a massive amount of time right. across a whole range of roles. And one of the greatest uh, drivers of... Um, sort of quality of life and well-being um, and, you know, pay rises and, and all of these things is actually productivity growth. And this will increase productivity for a certain segment of society immensely. Um, and we have to find a way to educate people on how to use it properly. And they have to know what they're getting back. So you have to have enough understanding to recognize if what you're being given is accurate, right. and you have to know how to ask it the right questions. So, you know, effectively like prompt engineering, you know, we've got to work out the right prompt to ask this, <laughs> to ask this, uh, you know, interface um, to get the, the answers right. that you need. And I think that's pretty exciting because um, if you're, say, an entrepreneur and you're starting a business, there's a whole range of things that you've got to do, and you can't employ people to do all of those. Um, so either you try and meticulously do it yourself, and it takes forever, um, or you just don't do it. Where, well, these tools you can ask it to generate an employment contract. You can ask it to write a blog post. You know, so a lot of things um, are possible now with these tools, but you have to know how to use them. And I think that uh, is probably the challenge for society, which is that there is always um, a digital divide, you know, in a sense. Um, there's always a challenge in ensuring that everyone has access to these kinds of tools and resources. And um, this is uh, still in the early days of ChatGPT. We don't know what their commercial model will be. Uh, we don't know how accessible it will be. So um, if it is only available to a small subset of people, then those people will be incredibly efficient, right. <laughs> and, the, and the rest of us will be, you know, manually uh, trying right. to type things out. But I think the history of the internet would suggest that it's probably going to be quite widespread, um, because they probably get the most value from lots of people using it. But it is it is difficult um, because there will be a generation of people who grow up uh, with these tools. Um, in the same way, there's a generation of people who've grown up um, with computers and with the internet and with smartphones. Um, 
And all of those are sort of like uh, levels of abstraction. You know, you don't really need to know what happens behind the hood when you pick up your smartphone. Right. Whereas um, even when I was growing up, uh, when we got our first computers, you had to know how to fix a computer sometimes in order to get it working. Right. <laughs> Whereas these days, you would not even think of this. Um, but that did give you some insight into how things worked, and that, I think, builds your, uh, builds your uh, problem-solving ability. So I think that that is a challenge. We want to ensure that people still develop their capabilities, their problem-solving, their critical, critical thinking abilities, but also can utilize these tools. And I think that's probably the sweet spot. Do you see the existence of this tool hampering people's critical thinking ability? Hopefully not. Um, but uh, I probably do have some concerns about the level of social media <laughs> use amongst right. young people and what that's doing to their, um, to their uh, critical and critical thinking ability in some cases um, and their ability to focus on things for a very long period of time. Uh, I think we've seen that, you know, a lot of short form uh, content and, you know, um, images and, and sort of um, videos on TikTok and things, those seem to have an impact on people's uh, concentration. And fewer people are, say, you know, reading uh, books and reading, right. you know, 10,000 word Because the attention span is just not there. Yeah, I mean, I guess right. it, it must be something like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not entirely sure, but... Um, it seems like that is the challenge. And we want to ensure that as these tools develop, we don't lose that. You know, we don't lose the ability to come up with these ideas on their own. Um, otherwise, you end up in a strange situation where uh, more and more things are generated by AI, and the AI's input is things it generated previously. Right. <laughs> so so the, the average ends up becoming, uh, a large portion of that ends up becoming things it did itself. Um, and I mean, maybe you hope in that process the average improves, but uh, you never know. So someone has to be out there creating new knowledge. Yeah. You know, another thing people worry about is that whenever there's AI, it's like, oh, there's, you know, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And I think we've alluded to this throughout our conversation. Is there a worry that ChatGPT will start replacing jobs and, and so on and so forth? It's always a worry. <laughs> but at the same time, um, it's, it's, the, it's our worry about it that means we do something about it, in a sense. So, like, there used to be jobs called a human computer where literally a, people, a group of people would sit in a room and compute things. <laughs> they'd do mathematical equations, they'd follow instructions, and I guess in some ways to a person outside, it kind of looked like a computer because <laughs> you just feed the instruction and it comes out like a week right. later. Um, obviously, actual computers rendered that role redundant. Um, we also used to have elevator operators, switchboard operators, um, lamp lighters. Um, there was even a, a job for people to wake people up before we had alarm clocks. You know? So this has happened throughout uh, history. In the past two decades, um, it's happened significantly in the mining and uh, banking and finance uh, sectors um, in Australia um, in particular, where you know, most people use an ATM, most people use online banking, there's uh, fewer bank tellers. Uh, a lot of mining is automated now as well. So people no longer have to go out into you know, the mines and dig things up. The dump trucks are automated, the trains are automated. So with all of that, um, at the same time, like our living standards have improved on average across the world. Obviously, in some areas they've declined, in other areas they've advanced further, but uh, at the median level, uh, they've never been higher. Uh, median wages have never been higher across the world. Um, and because of technology, it's been possible for people uh, all around the world to access higher paying jobs. 
um, that they never would have been able to before. So with all of this occurring, unemployment's also at a historic low. So all these years we've been thinking all these jobs are getting replaced, but what's happening to the people? Well, they're being retrained. Um, and, they're, and they're moving into roles that society now needs more of. Right. Um, in particular, health and education are two areas where there's a, usually a chronic shortage of um, people in many countries. So there's always an opportunity. Um, I would say that there is an impact on some of the roles that you know, we talked about, um, from animation to graphic design to copywriting, uh, even tutors, for example. This is like ChatGPT is like a personal tutor in some right. ways when you're doing a course. So on an individual basis, uh, yes, it will have an impact, and you may feel it. Um, but if you're aware of it um, and you see this coming and you can use these tools, then it also gives you a lot of opportunities to discover new skills, to change jobs, and to prepare yourself. And I think these days, most people go through their life uh, and change jobs a number of times and change careers a number of times. So I guess it's something that we have to be aware of and get used to, but it's not you know, the end of the world. You know, I'm wondering, uh, whenever you know, these conversations about uh, technology um, becoming more advanced, there's the worry about people losing jobs and all. Is the worry due to capitalism more than the advancement of technology in and of itself because shouldn't the the ability of technology to replace our jobs make us feel happy rather than worried and i'm wondering if the worried is because in under capitalism your human value is ultimately just tied to your ability to make money it is a shift in society that we have to think of our value as beyond what we do in our work um, now for some people, their, their work adds huge value to themselves and to society and their lives. Um, and they really enjoy it. And the idea that that might disappear is actually quite frightening. Right. Um, it's very disruptive. And, um, you know, in particular, I enjoy, uh, you know, what I do. I enjoy trying to um, improve the quality of education and advance um, access to education. And, um, you know, I think that that makes an impact. So, you know, to me, I see... Yeah, I, I see a lot of my value associated with that as well. So I think this is a shift in society where we say, okay, um, do will we always have uh, very low levels of unemployment? And if we don't, it means there's going to be a larger number of people who are potentially unemployed in the future. And we don't know if that's going to be the case because history suggests that hasn't been. <laughs> people always seem to find jobs. Um, but if that was the case, um, how do we deal with a situation where people may find value in their lives outside of their work. Um, maybe they are free to pursue um, the arts um, and culture and, and other endeavors a bit more freely. Maybe they can spend more time studying and doing PhDs and things. So it does, uh, I guess, free up human capability, but it requires a shift in how we think about our value in society. Before we wrap this conversation up, just one more question for you. You know, when you look at you know, these, these advancement in these technologies, um, AI chatbots and, you know, now ChatGPT specifically, what does the future hold when it comes to these technologies and also people? So um, predicting the future is always uh, problematic. <laughs> but I would say that um, what we see today is the start of something transformative. And it's still the early days. Um, it's not happening tomorrow. <laughs> right. um, but you can already play with these tools and you can already see what they can do for you. Um, and in some cases, they'll start having an impact. Um, 
in particular, on the way we search the internet. In some cases, we search Google for answers. We could actually just ask these tools now. Right. Um, so, I think this uh, ChatGPT and generative AI as the category um, has huge potential to rapidly accelerate human uh, discovery and knowledge um, across many sectors, as we were, we were talking about, from education, science, engineering, healthcare. Um, but it's it's going to be disruptive along the way, um, and the disruption we will feel the disruption um, more if the pace in which it occurs is faster. So over the over history, as new technology has come out, the pace of adoption has accelerated. Um, you know, it, it took many years between the steam engine and you know, electric trains and, and cars and all of this, but. Um, what we're seeing now with uh, you know technology is that it, it happens very quickly. Right. So maybe it takes five years instead of twenty years. That's a very short period of time for people to adjust. So I'd say this is going to be disruptive to society, um, and all we can really do is start preparing ourselves for this, um, understanding how it works, thinking about what impact it might be might have on us, so that we have more time to prepare. Uh, now. All of this could, for some reason, go away and be a flash in the pan. <laughs> but um, the the direction that technology is going is such that if it's not ChatGPT, it, th there will be some AI tools that are able to effectively synthesize human knowledge and allow us to produce whatever we want from that. And we have to think about what that means for us. So the future, I think, is quite bright, <laughs> but um, only if we prepare ourselves and start doing something about it um, because, you know, we have to think about the skills that we have and what our role in society will be. Otherwise, we might feel a little bit less secure. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It was great to be here. That was Adam Brimo, founder and group CEO at Open Learning Limited. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.